Stop worrying, start doing. We spend a lot of time worrying about a lot of different things instead of moving forward. I happen to be a marketing teacher at the college level as well. And I always tell this to my students, stop procrastinating, start doing. Because the longer it takes you to get started is equivalent to the as much time as it's gonna take you to finish. Running 100 miles seems impossible and maybe even kind of crazy. And it is, but we believe in big crazy dreams. That's why we ran 100 miles. It was such a life-changing experience for us we decided to devote this podcast to preparing and inspiring you to run your first ultra race. Are you ready to feel the highest highs and the lowest lows? Are you ready to do what you once thought was impossible? Are you ready for your trail to 100? Welcome to Trail to 100. I'm Jacob Bateman, and joined along with me today is my beautiful and lovely wife, Melody. We are the founders of the Trail to 100 podcast, the podcast for beginner ultra runners. And today we had the opportunity to talk to Jason Bahamundi, who is a very experienced ultra runner. He's ran eight 100-mile races. He's also done eight Ironman races, and he's also done the inaugural, he was a participant in the inaugural Cocodona 250-mile race. So he has loads of ultra running experience, and he's also the founder of Run, Try, Bike, a ultra running media company that helps new athletes navigate the endurance sports world. And in this episode, Jason shares some of his biggest takeaways that he's had through his ultra running career. He even compares ultra running and Ironman's, FYI, ultra running's better. And then uh, he ultimately, he teaches us about how failure isn't terminal. Thank you for joining us here on Trail to 100. And today, as I mentioned earlier, we are joined by Jason Bahamundi. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to chat with you guys today. We, we're excited to chat with you too. We've seen a lot. We've seen your face around a lot on social media as you know, you're the founder of Run, Try, Bike and I see those fireside chats going all the time. But first and foremost, Jason, um, we sent you a little get to know you and you told us a little bit about your running journey. And you said something in there that I just want to dive right into. You talked about how, yes, Jason's rubbing his hands together for all our listeners. He's ready for it. So you talked about how you started originally running, training for a half marathon, but then you said this about when you started running of what kept you in it. You said it was an amazing experience to push myself and then head to the starting line and essentially fell because there is so much that I didn't know. And the only way to learn it was through experience. Now, I imagine there's like experiences that are coming to mind as you wrote that up. Take us to those experiences and why did you write that line about why you kept running how long is your podcast typically <laughs> oh, talk, talk as long as you want <laughs> because i mean i started in 2007 so i'm going on 16 years of experience and for your listeners and your audience which is predominantly beginners let me tell you something you're going to fail you do this long enough something is not going to go right and I can go back to my very first half marathon where you think you're in shape, training has been going well, and you know, you get to mile seven or eight and you have to turn around. There's a turning around point. I, I was in Westchester, New York, and now you've got to finish the last four or five miles. And all of a sudden, four or five miles feels like forever. And you're like, what is going on here? And I don't know what happens in your first event, but you forget to fuel, you forget to drink. Like there's just this massive rush of excitement that takes over and everything that you've been training for kind of goes out the window. And so by the time I get to that finish line, man, like every muscle hurt, every like even my brain hurt from from running and trying to think about how do I take my next step? And, you know, it was in that moment of crossing that finish line and getting the medal where you I felt successful. Hey, I did this. 
but I also knew that there was more out there. There was a, a an opportunity for improvement. And it was in that moment where I was like, failure is not terminal. Like I didn't die. I've been handed a medal. I'm gonna probably do this again and I'm going to love doing it over and over again. And like I said, over 16 years, I can, you know, the, the failures are, you can't count them all. Let's put it that way. Cause they happen way more often than they don't. I mean, training, you have failures, you bonk, you know, in, in training your nutritionist or your run coach is telling you try out different things. And so you're testing out different things and inevitably you're not going to make the entire training run. It's something's going to go wrong. I can tell you there was one time I tried to set my half marathon PR on about three weeks worth of training. So for those of you out there who are trying to set PRs, you know, put an actual training cycle into this. I got to mile two, but we were running about a seven minute mile. And I was like, I think we might actually do this. And then by like mile eight, I was trying to run a 135. And then by a mile eight, the 145 people were passing me. And I could see the guy with the stick on the 150 coming up behind me. And like just everything was falling apart, you know, and you do your best to try to get to the finish line. I've had my share of DNFs as well. Right. I DNF'd at Ironman Wisconsin. I DNF'd at Black Canyon. I've DNF'd at Possum's Revenge in Texas as well. I mean, failure is a part of it, but as long as you don't allow it to take over and you use it as a building block to success, there's nothing wrong with missing out with quote unquote failing, to, so to speak. Did you always feel that way or did it take time to figure that out? No, I think after that first race where I thought like a two hour half marathon was in the cards and I think I finished like 227, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, like muscles hurt. But again, I like, I'm not going to the hospital in an ambulance. Like I was successful. I still crossed the finish line and what do I got to do to get better? Right. So you start looking back at your training logs. You look back on what you ate and drank during that first event. I will tell you that as I've got, as I got better at the events, that's when it became harder to believe that failure wasn't terminal because you see the, the, you, you get the PR, then you get the next PR, then the great training cycle and the great event. And all of a sudden things are rolling for you. And you're like, man, this is awesome. And then when I got hit with my first DNF, like no lies, there were tears. I was like, I can't believe that this happened. But I put it in perspective. I knew that I had bigger events coming up, a race coming up, and that that particular event, it was okay to 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 DNF and drop out. It took time. Don't get me wrong. You know, for your audience, in you know, sit within your feelings and understand them and process them. I didn't go out and register for another race the very next weekend to try to make up for the DNF, as they yeah. say. You know, it was, okay, let me process this and now refocus. Because I was going from a 69 miler to doing an, an Ironman. And so I had to change my my path, right? I had to now include more swimming and cycling in, and that helped alleviate that strain from DNFing at Possum's Revenge. But the very first one, the failure was easier than the ones that came along later. And then once you get past your first DNF, you're like, oh, it's okay. Right. Like not for nothing. I'm from New York, so I'm going to say that often, not for nothing. But, you know, <laughs> people are so preoccupied on social media that your DNF today is gone tomorrow. Nobody remembers it tomorrow. And so you're like, OK, nobody's like, you know, making fun of me or even pat me on the back to tell me it's going to be OK. You process it and you move on, you know. And, and so I think the first one was the easiest one. And then as you move along, it, they get harder. And then you start to realize that you're doing this for yourself. You're not doing it for the accolades from others. And you have to put it in perspective that way too. So I'm curious here. You talk about your first DNF. What happens on your first DNF? Yeah, I'd like yeah, to yeah. too. Let's dive into what that happened. Story. And then you say, you know, you talked about, you know, how failure isn't terminal and there's takeaways from it. And what did you learn from that first DNF? I mean, as a beginning ultra runner myself, that's one of my biggest fears. I, I haven't hit that yet. I've come close, but I've never actually DNF. So tell me about what that was like and what you took away. So I, I don't recall the year, but it was at Possum's Revenge in, in Texas. It was a 69 mile event and you do two loops of 34 and a half miles. 
and it was so hot that I remember. I vividly remember how hot it was. It's a sandy course. And in that first loop, like I was just tripping and falling over everything and, and not to pat myself on the back, but I typically don't fall on the trail. That's just not one of the things that happens to me. I will more than likely have the wheels come off the bus before I fall down. And I kept tripping and falling. And I got to the end of the first loop and I sat there before going out for the second loop. And I just started the process, like how important is this race for me in my progression as an athlete? How important is it to my A race that's coming up that I'm going to start training for next week on? And like I mentioned, it was probably easier to process because the next event was an Ironman triathlon. And so I didn't have to really worry about trying to make up for the DNF at the trail event. And so I talked to the RD and he, cause he saw me at the start line, like contemplating whether or not I wanted to go out. And so he came up to me and asked me, he's like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. Healthy wise. Like I I'm good there. I'm just wondering if this next loop is even worth it. And he asked me, his name is Rob. He just asked me, he goes, well, is this an A race? Or is this an event that you just came to do as part of a training cycle? And I said, it's part of a training cycle or really the end of a training cycle before the Ironman training cycle begins. And he's like, go sit down. Like, it's not that important. And that really in that moment was, you know, an amazing statement from a race director because obviously they want to have high finisher percentages. Um, mm. But for him to tell me to go sit down, you know, in that moment, I was like, this is awesome, really cool. And then when I sat down, I started crying. I was, you know, I was upset about the idea of my first DNF and, and how to process it. But then I decided instead of sitting here and, and crying in my spilled milk, so to speak, I got up and I helped friends and strangers as they came across the finish line, finishing their first loop and got them water and Gatorade or whatever the sports drink was. And those that were finishing helped them get their hydration vests off and just became a part of the race instead of being a side note to the race. And I think by getting involved a little bit there helped also ease the, the burden of having DNF'd. Wow. I think that's such a powerful principle right there. I feel like that's a principle you could take into any area of your life. You know, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, you know, feel the feelings, feel sorry for a minute and then stand up and go help someone else. Yeah. Go focus on somebody else. I think that's something that's awesome about the ultra running community is how everyone is just willing to help each other. Yeah. I mean, you guys are, you guys are running a podcast and so you're looking for audience and you're looking for engagement from your audience. And, you know, some days it's there and some days it's not, that's just a part of the business. And we see it with run, try bike as well. But I often reminds, remind myself that somebody else has it worse. It's okay. Right. No matter where I'm at, somebody else has it worse. And that's part of a philosophy I use with the athletes that I coach too, which is there's always somebody faster. Like, you know, no matter who you are, there's always somebody faster. So it's okay. Like run the race that you're in. Don't run the race that they're running. Cause there's always going to be something, somebody faster. And in some cases when you're down and the chips are down, remember that somebody does have it worse and you're lucky to be where you're at and just keep building from there. Amen. So you ultimately decided to not finish this run because it wasn't your a race i also think it's really cool that the race director who you mentioned wants to have a high finish rate he cared about you as an individual athlete and said sit down now my question is have you ever dnf'd an a race that was a lot harder yeah so well i don't know if it was harder but at ironman wisconsin in 2019 so the story goes like this for years i had been running rocky raccoon in texas to try to get a Western States ticket. And so every year without fail, I'd be at the February start at the, at the start line, excuse me, on February to race the hundred milers to get my Western States ticket. Well, as you know, the lottery takes place in December. I had my name pulled in December of 2018. And so I would be racing in July of 2019. I did go to the start line in February of 2019 for Rocky Raccoon because I was already registered for it and trained for it. So I had a hundred miler in February. I had a hundred miler in July. And the way I had always set up my schedule was to run, race an Ironman at the end of the year in September, October, and fall. So I was registered for Ironman Wisconsin in the fall of 2019 as well. And got through Rocky, unscathed, healthy, got through Western States and 
got to, started the training for Ironman Wisconsin or continued the training for Ironman Wisconsin. And I remember vividly laying on the massage table and telling the masseuse, I said, I can't wait for this shit to be over. I'm so tired of it all. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm tired of the 4 a.m. alarm. I'm tired of watching every gram of protein and carbs that I eat. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of biking. I'm tired of cycling. I'm tired of being on this masseuse table, to be honest with you. Like, I just want it to all be over. And she had been my masseuse for a number of years. And she was like, I've never heard you say this. And I, and I said to her, I think, it, you know, it's a product of the biggest race that I had been looking forward to for five years at Western States finally happened. And while I want to race this Ironman, I, I just, I don't know. And so went to Wisconsin the day before the event, did the practice swim. It was gorgeous. The, the, the lake was like a mirror, like it was perfect. And so I was fired up. I'm like, man, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be great. And the morning of the event, it was windy. The water was choppy. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't look like much fun. And as we were progressing to go under the start swim arch, I stopped. And it's the first time I've ever done this. And I paused and I was like, do I really want to do this? And I came up with every excuse in the book to get myself in the water. And I did. And after about 30 minutes, I had swam about 25% of the race, six tenths of a mile. And I just thought to myself, I'm not doing this. It's going to take two hours to get out of the water. Normally, I'm an hour and a half swimmer. I'm like, and then ride a bike for 112 miles and then run a marathon. So I waved my arm and the, the jet ski came over and they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm definitely sure. Like, get me out of here. <laughs> and he drove me or they drove me, excuse me, to the to the dock and I got off and the volunteers there, they're asking you all kinds of questions because they want to make sure that you're coherent and you're, you know, everything is okay. And I was like, I'm perfectly fine. Take care of the people that are getting pulled out. And there were two or three people sitting next to me on a bench waiting to get cleared to leave. And they were crying, crying their eyes out because they had put so much time and effort into this. And I asked every one of them, I said, what number Ironman is this? And, and they all said, this is my first. And so I could feel and understand their pain while this was my eighth or ninth. This was my ninth. I had finished eight prior to this. This was my ninth. And so it was kind of old hat, but it wasn't a race because it was the only Ironman of the year for me. But again, perspective, like life has a way of giving you perspective. And I've already finished eight. I've got eight medals and eight hats and eight backpacks and all these other things from eight previous years of events. And this was their first chance to do it. Right. And so the perspective helped me, you know, outside perspective helped me put the internal perspective into play to say, it's not the end of the world. Not to mention you finished Rocky Raccoon 100 in February. You finished Western States, one of the premier 100 mile events of the world in July. Like it's okay. You know, like in perspective. That makes, makes total sense. Yeah. Cause your first time is, it's heart wrenching. If you have your heart set on something, number one, you know, and then it doesn't happen, but you know, after, you know, and, and as experience comes, things get easier. You get more perspective. Exactly. There's just so much more perspective to it. Your first time it's everything, but your yep. fifth time you understand a little more. Okay. You know, I can always come back here next year. You're like there, there's more to life than, yeah. than these races. Yeah. And like you said, if you, you know, if you don't finish, it's not terminal. It's not the end of the world. And right. what, what I notice is as you're telling these stories of your DNFs, it's not like you're not coming across as like, I just didn't want to do it. So I didn't do it. Like you thought through it. You had legitimate reasons to stop. And also with this DNF that you're talking about now, you said you were definitely sure you tried, you kept going and you got to the point where you were a hundred percent sure that you were done. And I think that's, I think that's the key to a DNF. Keep going until you know, for sure that you're done and it's totally okay to make that decision. Just know that that's the decision you want to make. Yeah, I don't think so. My other DNF was earlier, well, a year ago at Black Canyon, the 100K there. And I got to mile 27 or so and it had warmed up, but I was shivering. And, mm -hmm. you know, doing the math in my head, I was like, I could walk, you know, and, and finish under 17 hours and I'll be fine. But is it worth it? Like, what am I proving? to 
am I proving anything to myself? You know, we've already had the company at that point for a little over a year. Am I proving anything to the beginner by telling them, hey, if you don't feel well, things aren't going your way, just power through it. Like, I, I don't know that that's a message I want to get across to people who are just starting out. Like, you need to be aware of what's happening with your body, what's happening, you know, whether it's injury or in this case, I was shivering and goosebumps on what amounts to a 75 degree day that should not be happening. So something was off with my nutrition. And I sat there for close to an hour before I made the final decision to pull the plug and get going. Cause I was like, well, if I can warm up sitting here in the sun and feel better by drinking and eating, then, then I'm good to go and I'll go back out there. But after about 30, 40 minutes, I, I absolutely knew that nothing was gonna change. I just wasn't warming up and stuff like that. So I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to be able to, that I didn't want to finish the race because I didn't want to walk 45 miles at that point. And I remember the volunteer and she was great. She was like, are you, you know, asking questions? Are you sure? Are you sure? And I just looked at her and I asked her and I think I caught her off guard. I said, is Jamil going to be at the finish line with a big check for me? And she start, She was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Jamil Curry's <laughs> the race director for, for Black Canyons and, and the owner of Arrow Viper Running. And I'm like, unless there's a big check for me at the finish line, like I don't actually need to go do this anymore. I'm not feeling well. So, you know, this is not my job. Yeah. It's, we are, this is a hobby for all of us and yeah. it's okay to pull the plug when you're not feeling well. And I wasn't, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to finish the race. I, I wasn't going to get healthier as the race went along and I wasn't interested in an extended recovery time for it either. So I just, I was like, yeah, I'm good to go. Thanks. That makes sense. I I think it depends on how important the race is. Like if this is your A race and you decide that it's worth it to power through and to push through and and you decide it's okay if you get sicker and sicker and you cross the finish line injured, cool. That's your A race. You know it's going to take a long time to recover. If it's not an A race, it's not that important. You know it's going to take you a long time to recover afterwards. If you feel terrible, if you're not having a good time, yeah, why would you push through that pain? There's no point. All you're doing is hurting yourself and it's miserable. And you also don't want to burn out. You want to get to the point that you got out where you're like, I'm flipping tired of this and I don't even <laughs> want to be in a massage table. That's how much I hate this. <laughs> I think the key to all of it is remembering that you're doing this for you. Don't worry about what other people might think about it because chances are you're 95% wrong about what they will think about you, right? And so make sure you're doing it for your right reasons, right? If pushing through is the reason for you to push through, great. If stopping and DNFing is the right reason for you, then that's great too. Like make sure you're doing it for your right reasons, not for what you believe somebody might think about you. That's awesome. Do it for the right reason, but do it for the right reason for you. Because I think no matter what you do, whether you stay in a race or you fall out of race, everyone's going to have their opinion. There's always going to be people who think, oh, he should have just gone for it. Or, oh, they're, you know, your worried mom who's like, oh, they should have stopped, you know, <laughs> but you need to decide are, why are, why are you stopping or why are you going? What is your reason? And then hang on to the, your why. I think that's awesome. Yeah. That's really powerful. So you mentioned that you, you obviously you've done eight or nine Ironmans. And then, so did you do the Ironmans before you got into ultra running? Oh yeah, for sure. So I started with road running, did the, the path most people take, half marathon, marathon, found triathlon, went from sprint to Olympic to half to Ironman and had a friend ask me if I wanted to race this hundred miler. And I was like, zero chance. Like, no, that doesn't even sound like a good, good time, but they were training for it. And I was like, well, I'll run a 50 miler. I can do that. I think. Right. Cause at the time in my head, I think I equated 50 miles to taking about nine to 10 hours. And Ironman at the time was taking me about 11 and a half hours. So I was like, yeah, about the same amount of time we can do that. And I, so I, I did start training for a 50 miler and before I knew it, once again, I was registering for a hundred miler and, you know, haven't looked back on that. What about the 50 miler made you want to do with the hundred? The, so I have a motto, which is all gas, no brakes. So let's just go out as hard as we can and figure it all out as we're out on the course. Right. Cause you could have a plan. You can have a plan inevitably in trail running. 
you're going to throw that plan in the garbage. It's just going <laughs> yeah. to happen. It's just, <laughs> like, understand that that's going to happen. But at the 50 miler, like I just felt really good. I'm like, this is amazing. What a, what a great time this is. So what if a hundred miler takes, you know, double the time plus if it's 22, 24, 26, 28 hours. Okay. Right. Test your, test yourself, test your mental capabilities, test your physical capabilities, test the idea of a strategy and paying attention to a plan. And how does that work? And can you actually follow it over that long course of a period of time? That's cool. I like how you, how you mentioned all of that, all of the things that you're testing. And because I think a lot of people forget how much strategy and thinking there is in endurance and events. You don't just turn your brain off and run. Like you are strategizing and thinking the entire time. So I just wanted to point that out. So, so you said that your, your first ultra, which was a 50, it went well, you felt good, no issues. No, my first no. ultra was a 50. I just knew that friends right. were training for a hundred. So I would oh. train for a 50 miler, but I ran 50 K's before that. Okay. Oh, gotcha. okay. Okay. Okay, so you you kind of already had some strategy down, kind of knew what to do. Okay, and then you jumped into your first hundred yeah. after that. Okay. Which and was then... a horrendous experience. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> it was the Lake Martin 100, which is in Lake Martin, Alabama. And I refuse to this day to register for any event that takes place in Alabama because of the, because of the experience Drama. from that day. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with Alabama. It just has to do with the event in and of itself. So no offense to so, all the Alabamians listening. <laughs> yeah, no, none whatsoever. I, I, I was, I paced at Pinhoti. So, you know, kudos to Alabama in, in that event. But Lake Martin was horrendous. And the way the event takes place is it's a four-leaf clover. So you do like a five-mile loop, a seven-mile loop, a seven-mile loop, and then like a six-mile loop. And you do that four times and it all comes back to a horse stable. Wow. And it, all oh, and it rained like, I don't know, a month straight before the event. And so like the, the water crossings that used to be dry beds or babbling brooks were now raging rivers. It got cold as all get out out there. I went with two buddies. They dropped after. So I lost them at mile 27 because they were taking too long. I was like, this is going to take forever. I don't want to take forever plus like goodbye guys. And I left them and they dropped after mile 43 because it was unbearable. Knee high mud, water everywhere, tough climbs, just brutal, brutal, brutal. And it was advertised like most our race directors do, right? Great first timer event, just a few hills to climb. And I'm like, Man, when when you live in Texas, a hill and a mountain in Alabama are not the same thing, you know. <laughs> so even my pacer, so she was supposed to do the last 25 miles, only finished 17 of the miles. After so after 17 miles, she's like, "I'm done. If you can do the last clover loop piece on your own, please do it." And I was like, "No problem. I'm gonna walk the whole seven miles anyway." So I lost my wow. pacer. After you know it's bad when your pacer drops before you. <laughs> yeah. Your pacer did 17 miles. At that time, I had done 93, and she was like, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, wow. It was, it was rough. It was rough, 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 rough. You know, a lot of times you look at other, certain 100-milers, and, and you'll have sub-24-hour finishers, and, and a bunch of them. I think there was one at this event. You know, it was it was brutal. Gosh, it was brutal. And so I just, it's always stuck in my head. And I was like, I'm never going back to that event again. And they could have it on the most perfect day with the most perfect conditions. And it just it wouldn't matter. Like that experience at that moment and that year was awful enough to never to get me to go back to Lake Martin ever again. Well, to keep you out of Alabama, like period. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, first of all, it does not sound like a great first timer 100 with loops like I that would. that's that sounds terrible so but you finished right i did way to finish and then you decided you wanted to do another hundred after that experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't say i was the smartest guy <laughs> <laughs> well you're definitely an ultra runner <laughs> i just you know 
I like to improve upon, you know, my, my results and try to get better and, and always see what's next for me. How much more can I push myself? What else can I do to get better? And, and I learned from that experience, right? Like it's one thing to read the description from the RD. It's another thing to look at the elevation map. It's an, you know, it's another thing to train the way you always train and not course specific. And so, you know, I just learned so much from that event that I've been able to take forward since then in putting together training plans for myself and reading not just the course descriptions, but looking at the elevation maps. One thing I tend not to do is read people's race reports because mm -hmm. they're going to give me their personal view of something. And, and who knows, maybe they had an hour of sleep the night before because they were so nervous. And so the race was terrible, or maybe they don't have full-time jobs and can train, you know, six, eight hours a day and are in the most impeccable shape. And, and so their world is not mine. So I tend not to read personal race reports on run, try bike. We do have race reports, but it's really like, what are the things that an athlete needs to look out for at aid stations, things like that, that can actually help the athlete. And so that race at Lake Martin was definitely a lesson in how to train better and smarter for the next hundred. And like I said, failure is not terminal. It's a building block to success. And that's what it became. It was like, okay, how can I get better at this and get better at 100 mile races? That, that is, that is awesome. I, I actually, I really, I really agree with you on the not reading race reports because I, I, I feel you on that because whenever I've read race reports, it's actually scared me and made me doubt my abilities more than helped me prepare for that race. And so I, I'm with you a hundred percent because yeah, I, I'm go look up the vert, go look up, you know, what the race director puts out about it. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared, but don't go scare yourself out of a race by reading other people's traumatic experiences. Yeah, not to mention, right? So somebody posts in their race report that they had a great time at this one section and you're you're struggling through it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, why am I, then, then it gets into your head mentally. Wait, this race report from Joan or this race report from Steve mm -hmm. said, this was the easy part of the race. Why am I struggling? And it just makes it even harder for you to, to process where you're at in the event instead of racing your own race. Because now you're comparing everything to that person's experience. That makes sense. I do have to say I agree with you on researching the race. I cause That took me a while to learn because I, it used to give me anxiety to research the race. I wanted to just train and then hop into the race. And I got lost a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yes, she did. <laughs> I've, I've had multiple calls from Melody as she's out I'm on like, a I'm race. Like, I'm and she's like, I don't know where I'm at. So I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> Most so, of the time I'm running the same race too. And I'm like, okay, where did you turn? Describe <laughs> your location to me. So you want to know where you're running, especially for, you know, hundred, a hundred mile race. It's really easy to get lost on a hundred mile race. So for your listeners who are beginners, do yourself a favor, download the GPX file, upload it to your watch and be prepared with turn by turn directions so that you don't get lost and have to call Jacob and say, hey, the fourth tree on the right is the one that I passed. Meanwhile, he's like, the fourth tree on the right? What are you talking about? Like, I don't know what that means. So download the GPX file to your watch and to your phone and be prepared. Amen. Yes, 100%. do that. It's so important. Well, then also, I think it really helps mentally just to know where you're at on the course. Like, okay, I have this much left. I know that after this uphill, there's a downhill coming next. It just is good to mentally have a map in your head to kind of know where you're at. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I think that's so important. So you mentioned, we've talked about your DNFs and how it is okay to call it sometimes. Now you've ran 800 mile races and you've also done the Cocodona 250. And I'm sure you've done countless other 50 Ks and 100 Ks or 50 milers. Has there, I'm sure that you've had to have had this moment happen to you. Has there been a moment where you were considering dropping but then decided not to, and you ended up finishing and you were glad that you didn't drop, even though you were on the verge of dropping. Absolutely. Cocodona would is the first example that comes to mind and, and I'm laughing at it because I just told this story yesterday 
to a friend who's doing Cocodona this year. I did it the inaugural year and you climb Lane Mountain and Lane Mountain is essentially from mile 11 to mile 32, I think. Like it's like a 20 mile climb and they tell you, make sure you have six liters of liquid and all this stuff. And like the year we did it, it was so hot. And I thought I was in great shape. Like I just, I just, I was like, man, I got this to the point where I thought our finishing time for Cocodona was going to be like 80 to 85 hours. And I was like, man, we got this. There's no doubt we can do this. And we start climbing Lane Mountain. And I'm telling you, no lie, when I would take like five steps and have to sit back down, it was so hot and so vertical. And in that moment, I just kept thinking to myself, like, where can I DNF? Like, there's nothing out here. Like I could DN, I could stop right now, but I'm going to have to get off this mountain somehow, which means I'm either going to have to go up or go down. Either way sucks if you think about it. And then I started thinking to myself, well, if I, if I DNF, all these people that came here to support me, right? I had three or four race crew members and, and team leads and just like, what do I do with them for a week? They took a week off of work to, get to, to support me here. What do I do with them and all the money that was spent? And we got to the top of Lane Mountain and we were at a, and I keep saying we, uh, a friend of mine, Greg and I, we're, we did it together and we got to the, and we stuck with each other until I think mile 72 or something like that. But anyway, we got to the top of Lane Mountain and I looked at him and I said, don't lie. How, how many times did you think you were going to DNF on the mountain? And he's like, I think every step I thought to myself, I should DNF here. I think I might DNF here. Is DNFing here is good? And I was like, thank goodness. I was the only one thinking that. <laughs> yeah. We ended up at an aid station. I think it was like mile 55. And there's a whole bunch of people sitting around a campfire and stuff. It was early morning. Sun was just coming up. And, and everybody's telling their war stories of getting up Lane Mountain. And to a person, they all said the same thing. Like, I don't know how many times I DNF'd on Lane Mountain, but I just didn't know where I was going to get off the mountain or how I'll how I was going to get off the mountain. So here I am at mile 55. And so we, you know, went on to finish. I think it took me a hundred and almost 110 hours. Expect I, again, I thought we were going to finish in like 80, 80 hours or so. It only took another, what, 30 to finish. So, but you know, I'm glad that I finished it and was one of the inaugural class finishers at the, at Cocodona 250. And, and it's an experience that is unlike any other I've ever had at any other race, to be honest. Wow. I, I have a lot of questions here. One thing I wanted to say is I love these experiences that you're sharing where you think that you're going to finish in one time and then you finish in a way later time because I do that all the time. That happened with my last fifth. I did the Dead Horse 50 last year and I was like, I'm going to do this in like eight hours. And it, it took me like 10 and a half. And, and I was like, what the, like, why did I think I would do that so fast? You know? And I, I think it's really easy to do that. I think a lot of ultra runners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of ultra runners are kind of like type A, like high achievers. And, and I, I imagine a lot of ultra runners do that where they're like, okay, I'm going to finish it in this time. And then it doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, I would say that Ultra and trail runners are type A, but they are on a on a graded scale. They are less type A than triathletes are, mm -hmm. and so True. you know. So I, I have that as background since I my first the first half of my 17 years of racing was predominantly triathlon, and my last half of these 16 17 years has been trail running. But I, I think the reality is like right, we are training in a in a particular environment with all of the right conditions. Right. We're able to go back to our car to get food. We're able to go back to our house to get water. And it's all the perfect conditions. But when you're out on the trail, that doesn't exist. Like that does not happen when you're in the midst of a race because there's also the adrenaline rush. The start line goes off. And as good as you might be at controlling your emotions, the moment the athlete in front of you starts taking off, you're like, I can't be beat. I can't fall behind. And so you probably start running harder than you normally would. Whereas in a training run, you've got everything planned. I'm going to run this pace for this amount of time. Mm -hmm. And you. And so mm -hmm. I think that's a part of it. And honestly, for all of you listeners out there, you are going to not make your goals more often than you do. Period. End of story. And just accept that and just like 
embrace it. Like, let's get better at this stuff. Progression, not perfection type of thing, right? But yeah, you know, you see it happen all the time. And I just think that our training isn't always race environment. And so I think that doesn't, uh, that doesn't allow us to actually mimic it 100%. There's only but so much you can do during training and you're not going to see it during a race. And again, if you have two, three, four, five hours of sleep, whereas during your training, if you're getting seven or eight hours of sleep, that's a big difference. Home cooked meals versus sometimes ultra runners are sleeping in their cars the night before an event, you know, and they're, they're sucking down 90 second rice that was cooked in a microwave type thing. <laughs> like, those aren't like the perfect ideal conditions leading up to a race either. And so I just think we have to take all of that with a grain of salt. No, that that's a really good point. I, I think that is super important to remember that race day is very different from training. I guess I was just saying I, I'm for me personally last year when I like overestimated or underestimated my time, I felt really embarrassed. I was like embarrassed that I thought that I would do it faster and I didn't. So I guess as as we're talking, I'm like, oh, you know what? I think that's actually really normal. I think it's really normal to kind of overestimate and, and you never know what's going to happen on race day. And, and I really like that you said you're going to not make your goals more often than you do. I think that's important for us to all remember. And when you don't make your goal, you just learn from it and you yeah. keep going, right? Failure isn't terminal. We learned that that's from right. you today. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, off the top of my head, I can think of the one time that I did nail my goal. So I had trained for Black Canyon in 2020. And I wanted to go under 12 hours and I did that. But every year at Rocky Raccoon, after my first year, I finished in 20 hours at Rocky Raccoon my first year. Every year after that, I wanted to finish under 19 hours. And the fastest I finished was 1911. And if you think about it, right, 11, it was like 1150 something. So 12 minutes, 720 seconds over the course of 100 miles. Like that's nothing if you no. think about it. And so it was like, yeah, you know, I would love to have broken 19 hours and I'm going to keep trying. And now it's been a number of years since that. And I probably don't have the youth in my legs to go under 19 hours anymore. So that's a dream that has gone away. But another dream has come in its place. I'm racing the canyons at the end of April. And it's on, for those of you that don't know, it's on the Western States course as well. It's essentially run backwards from the way the Western States race goes and I finished Western States in just under 28 hours. So that's my new goal. I want to go under 28 hours. The closer I get to 24, great. But that's my new goal. And, and it's been three years, I think, since I've raced the 100 miler. So it's, per, you know, coming out party again. And let's go for that goal. And if I don't make it, then let's find when the next 100 is. And let's keep pushing ourselves for it. That is cool. That is one of the coolest things about running is there's always something to shoot for. You can always learn and grow in one way or another. And and I just want to repeat what you said. When one dream leaves, another dream can take its place. I love that. So I got I to gotta ask you this, since you have so much experience in Ironmans as well. First things first, which one do you like more, an Ironman or an Ultra? Oh, it's not even close. Ultras. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and why? Oh, sorry. Yeah. And so what is... <laughs> What attracts you more now? Because you've ran, you've done eight Ironmans. That's impressive. That's a lot. That's a lot of hours of training. A lot of your life was spent getting ready for Ironmans, you know? And yep. so now you're moving on to ultras or you do, I don't know, you might do a little bit of both now, but I guess what about ultras won you over from the Ironman world? They're harder. And I don't care what any triathlete says. I don't care what any Ironman says. It's harder. Like, honestly, an Ironman to me is equivalent to a 50-miler on the trails. And the 100-miler doesn't have a representation in the triathlon world that I've experienced. You know, there, there are Florida anvils. There are DECAs where guys are doing 10 Ironman distance events in 10 days. That obviously is going to be extremely, extremely hard, too. But as a single event entity, the 100 miler is by far harder than an Ironman event. And the reality is just look at the time. So the fastest Ironman I've had is like 1150 something or other. And my fastest 100 miler is 19 hours. So I'm active for an additional seven to eight hours, right? Like that's a lot of time. And, and mm -hmm. you're using the same muscle group repeatedly for those additional seven to eight hours. Whereas with swimming, and cycling and, and running, you're changing your muscle groups 
So you can also change your mental capabilities about what it is you're going through when you're on the bike and it's downhill, you don't have to pedal, right? So you can conserve energy when you're running downhill, unless you literally fall and tuck and roll down the mountain, you have to still use those muscles to cut down the mountain. So, Maybe that's know, a strategy I, we should try. Yeah, maybe I, I think some people do tuck and roll. Make sure it's on pine needles and not hard rocks then. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, I mean, I, I, question, I just think it's harder and I, and, and I want to do hard things in life. I want to push my limits within reason, right? I don't want to put myself in jeopardy, but I just, and I will argue this with any triathlete. I really would like having had the experience on both ends of uh, both ends of the conversation, I, I think I'm in a unique perspective to say and have a conversation about it. Whereas some people who have only done one really don't know what the other one is involves. For sure. I feel really cool now yeah. that I've ran a hundred miles once because <laughs> that's harder than an Ironman. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've always wondered that because what drew us to the sport was we wanted to do something hard. Now, a lot of other reasons have kept us in the sport since then, but that's what initially got us into it. And I did look at doing an Ironman as I saw those distances, like a hundred and some odd miles on a bike. You run a full marathon, you're swimming two miles. Like, I was like, that sounds really hard, you know, but ultimately we decided on ultras. I think price and the bike thing and all that <laughs> drew us to just, you know, well, we can just go run in a hundred dollar pair of tennis shoes. But yeah, <laughs> but it, that that is that is really good to know. And I'm not going to lie. I feel validated and cool since Jason <laughs> says all 100 mile ultras are harder than an Ironman. <laughs> but make sure that's in the notes so that all the triathletes can get angry at you and send you messages because that's still engagement. <laughs> exactly. We should make an ad. <laughs> Ultras are cooler <laughs> and harder than Iron Man. Yes. <laughs> oh. So we're we've got to wrap things up here, but we just got a, a couple more things I want to hit on with you. One thing you also said to us when you told us a little bit about yourself and your running journey is you said running has brought me my life what do you mean by that um i i think i'm a very self-reflective person and so when i'm out there running you know i start to think about the things that i want to do in life what's important what's not important letting go of the things that seemed important at one time but no longer are and then to round it all up i mean We've referenced it a couple of times. I started a business two years ago called Run, Try, Bike, and that's where my business is now. And, and so, you know, from a guy who started running a quarter mile around a track and thought he was awesome 16 years ago to now being in business all through the conduit of endurance sports and specifically running, it's been amazing. I've met some amazing people. I've been to all different parts of the United States and seen different landscapes and different cultures in the U.S., met some so many amazing people like yourselves. And, and so it's just, you know, the opportunity to, to grow as a person with all of these connections and opportunities to meet people and see the country from different perspectives, some in the winter, right, snow on the ground, high atop mountains deep in the valleys, running through fields, running through roads. It's just an, it's an amazing thing to see the world from two feet versus mm -hmm. seeing the world from a car. Like they're just not the same. Amen. 100%. Running allows you to experience life, doesn't it? Absolutely. I love mm -hmm. that. I love that. So you also, you mentioned you founded this company, Run, Try, Bike. Now, Tell our listeners a little bit about what you guys do and your mission. So our, I started this business about two and a half years ago as a, as a thought because I was offered the opportunity to buy a running and triathlon magazine in Texas. And the asking price was way too steep. And I just thought to myself, I could do this on my own. I don't need to buy a business to do it. But how do we differentiate ourselves from the other publications that are out there? And so I spoke to a handful of different freelance journalists and they said, if you write to, with, and for the beginner, then you have an opportunity to carve out a niche that hasn't been touched yet. Um, and I thought that was great. But if on the odd chance that 
we get big enough. And again, I like to dream big. So I was like, we're going to get big enough to be noticed. They could do the same thing with more resources and more money and more people. So how do we differentiate ourselves even more so? And so the idea was to highlight women, people of color, LGBTQIA+, and physically challenged, those that you can see, for example, those with prosthetics, and those that you can't see, people who are suffering from RA, MS, AF, and prove that there is a spot at the starting line for everybody. That was our mission, was to show that there was a spot at the starting line for everybody. And so we have people submit their stories of how they got started in sport. I started with a quarter mile run around the track, followed by a quarter mile walk, followed by a quarter mile run, followed by a quarter mile walk, and went home thinking that that mile was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we've had other people submit their stories to us, and it shows that we all start somewhere. And when I say we all start somewhere, it's not necessarily the very, very beginning of their journey. Some people we have had stories about who have dealt with alcohol and drug abuse and have had to restart their life that way. We have had mothers coming back from pregnancies that have to restart their running journey, endurance sports life from that perspective. And so also people who are going from Ironman to ultras, that's a whole new beginning. And how did it start? And so we love to tell the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so on our website and in our social platforms, you'll find those stories being told and you will be able to connect with somebody in some form or fashion. And that can be your guiding light for being inspired to go and do a new distance or being motivated just to get out the door that day to do that three to five mile run that's on your training plan. And so we're always looking to be cheerleaders, for lack of a better term, right, to support people on their journey and in their dreams to their start line, but then also their finish line, specifically theirs, not what other people are wanting them to do or think they should do. I love it. Major, major respect for Run Try Bike. We hats off to you. We think it is awesome. We love your mission. We love what what you're doing for people. It it really like when you talk about there's a place at the starting line for everyone. Like it's I mean, that's what we like to share too. Cause so I mean, even if you don't have an outward or what people would say is like an outward struggle, if people many people don't notice your struggle as much, or you just see others out there you know hitting the start lines doing bad water 135 or whatever and so often people just think that could never be me you know and they just write it off even though deep down they have that that want they're like oh that would be so amazing to be able to do something they just don't believe that they can yeah but there is like if we can just get ourselves to that starting line we can do it. We can accomplish those dreams. Like you, you can make it there, you know, no matter what the struggle is, it, you know, we just, the biggest struggle is just getting to that starting line. Yeah. There, there isn't a person that I wouldn't support in their dream to do a race. If, if you come to me and say, Hey, I have this dream of doing bad water, then I'm going to support you and help you realize that yes, you can do it. Cause in the grand scheme of things, whether it's Cocodona 250 or any of the Destination Trail Race 200s or Badwater or a 100-mile race or a 50K race or a half marathon, you have to run the mile that you're in and not worry about what's going to come up on the next mile or how long it's going to take you to finish the event. Run the mile that you're in, and before you know it, that finish line is there. And so I would always encourage people, and don't worry about other preconceived notions about how fast you're supposed to do it or how fast Jason once did it. Like that doesn't matter because that's my journey and this is your journey. And let me support you on your journey to not just your starting line, but to your finish line. And then let's celebrate it. That's one of the things that I I don't think I understand very well is people who don't celebrate their accomplishments. Look, if you ran a 50K, be proud of it. Like that's a Mm -hmm. big accomplishment. Don't worry that it wasn't the 100K or the 100 mile race. Those will come in due time. If you want to even get there, some people might want to just run 50Ks and that's okay too. Like just be happy with, you know, what it is that you're accomplishing and not worry about what somebody else is doing because they're on their journey. They're not on your journey. Where can our, where can our listeners find more of this? Like you're talking about the, how it's, how it all started, you know, clips that you have and how you guys are there to help new athletes navigate the endurance sports world. Where can they find all this access and help? 
So I've been in marketing for three, 30 years. So I've made it so easy for everybody. So if you go to at run, try mag on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube, you will find us. Our website is runtrymag.com. And then on there, we've made it easy for you to find everything. Go to the articles tab, it drops down. There's a how it all started. There's a club spotlight. If you're a member of a club and you wanna get them highlighted on our pages, there is a your best running buddy. So if you run with your dog, we'd love to showcase that too. And then we have our fireside chat videos, our podcast, our fireside chats are now podcast. That's accessible there as well. And then honestly, sign up for our newsletter on our website and you'll get the information delivered to your inbox every two weeks. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes too. Yeah. So for all our listeners, check out the show notes. You can access it through that. Now, Jason, before we let you go, as our time's running low, we ask this question to every single one of our guests. What advice would do you have for beginner ultra runners so for people who are just barely getting into that sport they set that goal to run their first ultra what what would you tell them stop worrying start doing we spend a lot of time worrying about a lot of different things instead of moving forward i happen to be a marketing teacher at the college level as well and i always tell this to my students like stop procrastinating start doing because the longer it takes you to get started is equivalent to the as much time as it's going to take you to finish. So if you start today, you're going to finish sooner. If you start in a week from now, it's going to take a week to finish. So start now, stop worrying, start doing. Lace them up, go for a one-mile walk, then make it a one-and-a-half-mile walk, then a two-mile walk. And before you know it, you'll be a mile run, two-mile run, but you got to start somewhere, so why not start now? I love it. That is really, really good advice. That makes me think about just this morning when I was wondering, do I get out of bed and go for my run or should I just do it tonight and sleep a little longer? Like stop worrying about it and start doing it, Jacob, you know, just get up, go do it, you know? Cause, and, and I think what ends up happening when we do it, the worry goes away, you That's know, right. as we start doing. And like, and I think about just life in general, I think that's a great slogan for life in general. We worry so much. Are we going to do it right? Are we going to be able to, you know, accomplish this? And we just let our anxiety and our worry just build up in our heads to where it paralyzes us and we never do anything. And so I think that's amazing advice for ultra running and just life in general and how the two correlate so much. Let's stop worrying and just start doing one step at a time. And I can see how you got that from marketing. I've, I'm not an expert at all, but I've taken some marketing classes and I do my own marketing for my own coaching business. And, and I learned that in marketing that even though you don't know what you're doing and it's scary to post your content, you just need to start posting stuff. And I've learned that that's the only way you learn. You learn what people like, what people don't like, and then you kind of get over the you know, being scared of putting your face out there. And and I think it's the same thing with running it. A hundred miles seems really, really scary, but you just, like you said, you just put on your shoes, you start walking, you start running, you just, and and you start learning, you start learning how your body feels, what works for you. And and just know you're going to mess up. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's going to be hard, but, but you just keep lacing up your shoes and you keep going and you, you figure it out. That's right. And, and so for practical advice for you, starting to trail an ultra run, the practical advice I would give you is eat, like eat before you run, eat during your run, eat after your run, like eat, like make sure you are fueling because this stuff takes a lot out of you. So make sure you're constantly putting calories in. It'll, it'll make the running part easier because you'll also recover a lot faster too. Amen. Wise words from a wise man, eat. Well, Jason, I think that's going to wrap us up here. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. We've really enjoyed hearing your story. I feel like we just barely touched the iceberg on uh, most of these things. We might have to bring you back on in the future, but thank you, Jason, for coming on. Yeah, this was great. I thank you so much. And I agree with you, Jacob, like this just felt like the beginning of a conversation and we're the dinner party is breaking up before we got to the good stuff. So yeah, um, exactly. I would be more than happy to come back on and chat with you guys. Awesome. awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. So big thank you to Jason for coming on the podcast. Man, does he have a wealth of experience to draw from. 
that was fun. I want to keep chatting. Yeah. Too bad we have work and lives and other important things yeah, to do, like feed ourselves because all I want to do is sit down and talk about running all day. Yeah. He, uh, he definitely has some great stories to tell from all his many years of experience. So, yeah, we'll get it back on for sure. Yeah. So one thing that Jason said that really stood out to me was when he was talking about his near DNF experience at the Cocodona 250. And he was talking about, you know, how with every step, he'd take five steps and have to stop, you know, and every step, what was going through his mind was, I'm going to DNF, I'm going to DNF, like this is a DNF is happening. And as he was climbing up that mountain, now what ended up happening, you know, he got back and he started talking to his uh, other other runners that were on the trail and he found out that they all had those same thoughts going on. And the reason that hit home with me, now he obviously kept moving forward, got to the top of the mountain and made it to the next aid station and ended up finishing that race, which is amazing, 250 miles. Um, but what hit me through that was get through the hard thing and then I can DNF, then I can drop. Like that, at, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about when I have had those same thoughts climbing up a mountain, re- feeling like garbage and thinking, I'm going to DNF. This isn't going to happen. Oh, don't drop at the hardest yeah. part when you're feeling the yeah. most pain. I guess mm. it finally like really clicked with me. Like, okay, I can DNF, but I have to get through this hard thing. I have to climb this mountain. And then once I've climbed this mountain and gone to the next aid station, I can decide if I want to DNF. So don't ever quit when you're at the hardest part. Go a little bit more yeah. before you decide to quit. Because then you're probably thinking a little more straight. You've gotten past that. And your confidence might even be boosted now because you got past that. And you're like, okay, now this next section has half the elevation. I can probably do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I guess maybe with life, get through the hard parts of life before you, before you quit on something, get through the hard part and then decide. We'll just keep trying. I guess that's what I was getting at earlier in the episode when, when I mentioned the part where he was telling one of the stories about when he DNF'd his Iron Man and he didn't DNF until he knew for sure that he was done. Like he wanted to be done, but he hopped in the pool anyways. He kept going. And then once he hit hit that threshold, yeah. then he knew he was done. Yeah. He didn't. He still got in the water and he kept trying. And the hard part for him that day was just starting. Yeah. That, that was his mountain right there. He still showed just, up. Yeah. Was, was to show up because of how much he had put on his body through that year. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. My big takeaway for this was how confident Jason was, uh, especially when it came to talking about his DNFs. Something that I've struggled with is making decisions for myself. Um, when I'm making a decision, I think I put a lot of emphasis on what the people around me will think. And then it's this tug of war in my head of like, I think I should do this, but I think this is the right thing. But what are these people going to think? Are they, you know, I think you can, like, let's use DNFing as an example. If you decide to DNF a race, there's going to be people who think you shouldn't have DNFed it. There's going to be people who agree with your decision. And that's how any decision in life goes. There's always going to be people who disagree and people who agree. And it's not our job to try to convince people or change people's minds. It's our job to do what's best for us. So he was really good at knowing when to stop and knowing when to keep going. And he had his reasons and his reasons were for him and nobody else. So that was the big thing that stood out to me. That's something that I want to try to be better at is making decisions for myself without caring what other people think and knowing what is my reason for making the decision that I'm making. Agreed. Just doing it, doing your reasons all based on you and not letting outside influences affect your running. Right. While still being considerate of others. Because, yeah, you, gotta... you know, he, he mentioned things like all these people who travel to be here for me and all the money yeah. that was spent. And, you know, we could really dive gotta, into that. You have but... to find some reasons outside of you. But ultimately, there's something. The reason you're doing that race has got to be your reason, not someone else's reason. Yes, exactly. So thank you, everyone, for joining us and once again, a big thank you goes out to Jason for joining us. Go check out uh, his website at Run Try Bike. 
And also, if this episode has helped you out with anything or you have any takeaways from it or you've had any previous episodes that have helped you, we ask you a favor, share it with someone who you think it can also help. So can reach more runners like you. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and we will talk to you all next time. Hey guys, it's Melody here. Thank you so much for listening to Trail. It means so much to us. I'm really excited to tell you about my coaching business where I help average Joes who are looking for a little bit more out of life do something big to find a little bit more purpose, direction, and meaning. I know what it's like to feel stagnant or like something's missing or like you just want more out of life. I was in the same spot. Jacob and I had just gotten married and we were both working nine to five jobs and we just were like, what do we do now? We, we just wanted something more and we listened to David Goggins book and we decided to sign up for a 50 mile race. And since then we've done fifties, we've done, Jacob's done a couple hundreds, I've done one 100 and, and running has changed our lives. I feel like I always have a goal to work towards. I feel accomplished and proud of myself. I feel like I have learned countless life lessons that have made me a better friend, a better wife, a better daughter, a better person. And I want to give back and help you do the same thing. I'm telling you, running can change your life. If you're ready to jump in and sign up for a race, whether it's three miles or 100 miles, I would be honored to help you cross the finish line. If you want to learn more or get in touch with me, go to my Instagram at Pine Tree Running or my website, MelodyBateman.biz. You have so much potential and you are way stronger than you know. Let's find your strength because it's there just waiting to be tapped into.